Good morning. My name is Jeff Stadola. The scripture passage today comes from the New Testament book of Hebrews. I will be reading from chapter 8, verses 6 through 13. Uh, And this isn't Groundhog Day. If you recall, this is the same scripture reading from last Sunday. So it's not a mistake. Okay. Pastor Bill's part two sermon today. All right. So let's hear the word of the Lord. But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood, for he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with the people, he said, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I, w- when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant. So I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel, and on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, excuse me. Well, we are in the middle of a series on the book of Hebrews, and the book of Hebrews can be really difficult when you just try to pick it up and read it on your own. And so my hope with this series has been to give you some keys that will hopefully unlock this book for you when you read it on your own. And last week I began the process of sort of handing over this big key called covenant over to you, and and hopefully this week we can kind of finish up that process. So thank you for bearing with me with a two-week sermon um, but we'll finish that up this week. Last week, I brought in my um, yellow pages that I received in the mail, and I am just absolutely amazed that they still make this thing, because I feel like we have something way, way better than this now, which is the internet, because the internet does everything the yellow pages used to do and, and more, and it does it even better. I mean, you know, Morgan and I needed a new furnace recently, and so rather than having to look up HVAC in the yellow pages and find all the stuff in there and then dial in the number on our wall phone, you know, we could just Google it. And just hit call right there on our phones and we get a map of all the HVAC places in our area when we need a new furnace and phone numbers and directions. And so we have the internet, which is way, way better and has totally replaced this thing. And I feel like unless Yellow Pages changes their business model, they're just going to go away because they've already been replaced by something better, which is the internet. And I bring this up because I say that the author of Hebrews is talking about this big thing called covenant And the old covenant is sort of like the yellow pages. It's been replaced by something far, far better that does everything that the old covenant did and more called the new covenant. And the new covenant is like the internet. So the old covenant is like the yellow pages. It's outdated. And now we have something way, way better, which is the new covenant, the internet. All right. So the old covenant is replaced by this new covenant. And that word covenant, and the reason why this sermon is two weeks long or this message is two weeks long, is because that word covenant is sort of a big Bible-y 
jargon kind of word. It's a lofty theological word. And when you hear the word covenant, you kind of roll your eyes like, okay, there's one of those Bible-y words again. And there's one of those jargony words. And so the sermon series trailer for this series, or the, the teaser that I wrote, even includes this phrase. I said, trigger warning, Bible jargon ahead. Because the book of Hebrews is just jam-packed full of these lofty theological Bible-y type words. It can often be like listening to this guy. So there's a video where this guy, um, JB, told me about this video. Uh, this is a machine called the Board Stretcher 1000, okay? And this guy's going to explain how the Board Stretcher 1000 works and just try to follow along with his explanation as you listen to him explain the Board Stretcher. This is the revolutionary new board stretcher by Del Walt, their BS-1000. And you're seeing it exclusively here on the Next Level Carpentry channel. This BS is compact enough to be portable from worksite to workshop. And it's robust enough to handle anything you can throw at it. Well, not anything you can throw at it, but hey, it is a good machine. At its core, the BS-1000 uses dendrochronological calibrating for the cambrium retroencabulation process that infers elongated lignin into wood fibers. Clockwise rotation of the ambigulation control knob is used for adjustments to the machine, allowing it to reestablish longitudinal verisimilitude for cellular extension with its helical octaron mechanism. Specially formulated fullabrand board stretching medium is added to the onboard hopper and assimilated for retuition of delengthened boards as they pass through the machine. Do keep in mind that phase inductance from wind and solar power sources provide optimum performance during operation. If you're offended by that video, JB was the one that told me about that. Um, so complaints can be sent his way. But uh, no, that's obviously a fictitious machine, and many of those words are made up. But I bring this up to show you that reading the book of Hebrews can be like listening to this guy. And you have all these lofty theological words like covenant and Melchizedek and priesthood and sacrifice. And it's just like, ah, Bible jargon overload. And so as we talk about covenant, perhaps the easiest way to think about the word covenant is to imagine covenant as a partnership. Covenant is a partnership between God and a specific group of humanity or a, a human or a group of people. God partners with a group of people toward a goal. And in the Bible's case, God is going to partner with humanity or partner with a chosen group of humans toward the goal of renewing his broken, fallen, and sinful creation. So God, in his covenants, is going to partner with someone toward the goal of renewing his broken and fallen and sinful creation. And he chooses to partner with this group of people called the Israelites. And as the chosen people of God, Israel is picking up the baton that was originally given to Adam and Eve to be imagers of God, to be reflectors of God, to be rain spreaders. So they are images and they're sub-rulers because they are reflecting who God is to all the other nations of this earth. And they are sub-rulers because they are spreading his kingdom reign across the globe. That's the partnership that God is grabbing these Israelites into. And so Israel gets to receive the promise from God that they will be his special chosen people. But in turn, Israel has to fulfill certain commitments. And the commitment that Israel has to fulfill is that they have to live according to God's law. 
or God's way. Because if Israel is supposed to reflect who God is to all these other nations, if Israel is supposed to be rain spreaders and spread God's rain over this earth, then they have to live differently because they are set apart. They have to live in a better way to show the rest of the globe who this God is. And so that way of living is the law that God gives to them. And so God says, you need to live according to my way. You need to live according to this law. If you want to be my special people who are going to spread my reign over this globe. God says it this way. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on the earth. I'm choosing you, is what he says, for the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my sub-rulers, my rain spreaders, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So God is partnering with Israel to be his special people who spread his reign over this globe and who show the other nations who God is by imaging him, by reflecting him. Now, the problem is that Israel doesn't do that. Because they were supposed to live set apart, they were supposed to live differently according to God's law so that they could show the rest of the world this better godly way of living. But instead of living in this better godly way, Israel capitulates to the rest of the world and ends up looking like the rest of the world. So rather than being a prophetic difference and saying, hey, we have a better way of living over here, they capitulate and end up looking just like everybody else. And so God allows Israel to be conquered by this nation of Babylon and Babylon takes over and Babylon captures the people and Babylon exports them to their capital city called Babylon. And so these people make this journey to this foreign city of Babylon and it's while in Babylon during this really sad time in the Bible's narrative, it's, it's while in Babylon that this prophet Jeremiah is going to put pen to paper and he's going to, he's going to write a glimmer of hope for these chosen people of God. This is what Jeremiah writes. Now, as we read this, ask yourself, does this sound familiar? This is what the prophet Jeremiah writes. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, there's that word, new partnership, with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I loved him as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. Does that sound familiar? What the author of Hebrews is doing is the author of Hebrews is picking up on that glimmer of hope that Jeremiah is writing, and he's quoting it to talk about the new covenant in the scripture reading that we read today. The author of Hebrews is going to talk about how the old covenant is replaced by the new covenant, and he's picking up on that glimmer of hope that Jeremiah writes that he can use to talk about how the new covenant is better than the old covenant. Now, why does the new covenant replace the old covenant? Well, this is what the author of Hebrews says. He says, when God speaks of a new partnership, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. The yellow pages will soon disappear because they're obsolete and out of date because we have something way better now called the internet. And so what the author of Hebrews is going to do is he's saying these yellow pages have, have, have served their time and they're done. We got something better now. We got the internet. And the author of Hebrews is going to give you three reasons why the internet is better than the yellow pages. And he's going to give you three reasons why the new covenant replaces the old covenant and why this new partnership is so much better than the old partnership. First reason why the new partnership is so much better than the old partnership is that in the old partnership, we had these laws that were externally written on pieces of stone. And in order to live a certain way, you had to reference the piece of stone. Okay, that's what those pieces of stone say. That's how I got to live. But now in this new covenant, which is so much better, we have those laws and this way of living, this godly way of living, internalized. It's written on our hearts and written in our minds. This is what the author of Hebrews says. He says, I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. 
I will be their God and they will be my people. In the old covenant, we had external laws on stone tablets. And now in the new covenant, we have internal laws written on our hearts and written on our minds. There's this book called the Twible. And what the author has done is she's, she's summarized every chapter in the Bible in a tweet. And this is her tweet for Hebrews 8. She says this, plan B. This time God will write his covenant in your heart. Like when your mom used to sew mittens into the sleeves of your coat. Foolproof, (laughs) right? You got mittens, and as a kid, you'd lose track of the mittens, and you'd go home, and your mom would say, you naughty kittens, you lost your mittens, and you'd begin to cry, right? No, I'm kidding. kidding. But you'd lose your mittens, right? Even as adults, we lose our mittens, and we lose our, our gloves. And so what does mom do? Well, my mom was not a sewer, so this would have been grandma in my life. But grandma slash mom sews the mittens into your coat, so you got the little strings, right, that hold the mitten. Now they're part of your coat. You can't lose them. They're an internal part of your coat. And so in the same way, the old partnership had these laws that were written on pieces of stone. But now it's so much better because we have that way of living and those laws internalized within us. Right? Teachers, you can write classroom rules on that board all day long. But it doesn't make a difference whether they're written on the board or at all. Where it makes a difference is if the kids actually internalize those rules and follow the rules in your classroom. Right? Now we have an internal law that's written on our hearts and our minds. And this is why the new partnership with God is so much better than the old. The new partnership with God is so much better than the old. Because in the old, we had this impersonal relationship with God. It was very impersonal. It was very distant. And now in this new partnership with God, we have a personal relationship with God. This is what the author of Hebrews says. He says, And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, and we know the Lord personally. Because in the old partnership, if you were to visit the Israelite camp and you'd ask your friend, Hey, where does, where's your God? Like, who's this God that you worship? Your friend would say, Oh, he lives over there in the tent called the tabernacle. And you'd say, well, can we go visit him? And he'd say, yeah, if you want to die, (laughs) right? We can't go in there. If you go in that tent, you're going to die. And you say, okay, well, how do I visit with your God? He said, well, there's these people called the priests. They're of the tribe of Levi. And you can talk to one of those guys and maybe he can hook you up. And so in the Old Testament, you had this really impersonal, distant relationship because God lived over there in a tent. And you couldn't even go over there into the tent. You had to... Go to these priests as an intermediary to go to God for you on your behalf. So you almost have two degrees of removal. God's over there and you can only get to him through another person as a priest. Very impersonal. Now in this new covenant, we have God who has come to us. And God who has come to us has sent God to live in us. We'll talk more about that later. This new covenant is so much better than the old covenant. Because in addition to these other two reasons, in the old covenant, we had sacrifices that had to be made over and over again for the forgiveness of sins, right? We're sinful human beings, and so we'd have to sacrifice these animals ritually over and over again because the animal dies instead of us. The animal takes on our sin instead of us, so we sacrifice the animal over and over again. But now in this new covenant, we have a once and for all definitive sacrifice in Jesus Christ on the cross. This is how the author of Hebrews says it. God says, I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. And God can say that definitively in this new partnership. And God can make that statement as clear as possible because he is forgiving sin through the once and for all definitive sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. This is why this new partnership is so much better than the old partnership.
This is why this new partnership is making the old partnership obsolete and making it out of date. Now, the writer or the authors of the Bible, the ancients, believed that the new covenant, or sorry, the covenant, the old covenant, was given through angels. This is why our gathering scripture that Jesse read says this, for the message of God or the old covenant delivered through the angels has always stood firm and every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. So they believe that this old covenant was given via angels, which would make sense because we learned a couple weeks ago that angels are God's message boys, his errand boys, his bellhops. So it makes sense that the old partnership was given through angels. But now we got something way better. But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. The old one's obsolete because that was given through angels, through God's errand boys. And now we have something so much better that's given to us by God himself. Jesus, who mediates the new covenant. And Jesus, God, not only gives us that partnership, but he comes down to us to live into that partnership and show us what it means to be the human that God designed us to be in that partnership with God. That old covenant, that was given by angel postal service. You like that Photoshop? That, that, that was my work. I'm very proud of that. Very proud of that Photoshop. But that old covenant was angel postal service, right? Because he hires these angels to go and deliver the message, right? Yeah, just deliver that to Moses' door. And all right, yeah, I, I want delivery confirmation on that to make sure that he got it. Right? Or maybe he, he bought the, um, the, the, the one-size-fits-all, like the, the flat-rate box. Right? I'll send that flat-rate box via my angels to deliver that message, deliver that partnership. But now we have something so much better because now we have God himself who has come to us not only to bring us that partnership, but to show us what it means to live that partnership with God in the person of Jesus. And here's how he does it. Number one, Jesus lives the perfect law of God. Every other human being that has ever lived is sinful and is fallen and cannot live up to this godly way of living because we're sinful. But Jesus has God's laws written on his heart and written on his mind and sewn into the very fabric of his being because he lives the godly way perfectly because he never sinned. Jesus is the perfect human that we were supposed to be but never were because of our sin and he lives the laws of God and the way of godly living perfectly. Because he has no sin. Israel was supposed to be a reflection, uh, a rain spreader. They were supposed to show the other nations who God was. Author of Hebrews says this, I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the perfect imager because he lives the law of God and the way of godly living perfectly. That none of us could. Nobody has the law of God written on their hearts like Jesus. And what's the law of God? They're summarized in these two commandments. Love the Lord your God and love one another. And nobody does it better than Jesus because he's perfect. And he's the only one who's ever been perfect. So he lives the law of God written on our hearts and our minds perfectly because he loves God and he loves others perfectly. And he's God come to us. He's not an impersonal presence in tent. He's God come to us, is what the author of Hebrews says. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. 
Jesus, God himself, comes to us to have a relationship with us. It's no longer God over there in the tent, and the only way to get to him is through this other person. Now it's Jesus come to us, God himself come to us. Now we can know God personally because God has come to us in a person. Now we can know God personally because God has come to us in a person. Now you're asking, Bill, did you just quote yourself? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. (laughs) I did just quote myself. But do you see the movement in the yellow pages You had God over there in a tent, and you had to go through a mediator to get to him. You had God over there. Now in this new partnership, we have God come to us in Jesus. And when Jesus leaves, he sends us God in us, in the Holy Spirit. So we've gone from God over there in the tent, or God up there on the top of the mountain, to God in here, the Holy Spirit living in us. This is why we can have a personal relationship with God because he's come to us in a person and he's sent God to live in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus lives this covenant, lives this partnership perfectly as the perfect human that we were intended to be but never were because he is the forgiveness of sins in his act of death on the cross to pay the price for our sin. The author of Hebrews says this, and I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. And God can say that because his son, Jesus, has paid the penalty for us, has been the once and for all definitive sacrifice to put an end to sin and death on the cross. He has died once and for all for us so that God can forgive our sins. And so these three things... God's law written on his heart, living the perfect life, being the perfect human that we were supposed to be but never were because of our sin, him being with us and then sending his Holy Spirit in us and dying on the cross so that we could be forgiven and have a a perfect relationship with God again. This is why Jesus is who it's all about. He is the one who has come to us and he is the mediator of the new covenant. He's not only brought us the new partnership, but he lives the new partnership. So what does this all mean for us? Well, this is why I picked the gathering scripture that I did, because I feel like it explicitly tells us why or what we can do about all this. The Hebrews 2 says this. It says, So we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. For the message God delivered through angels has always stood firm, and every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think that we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? Why do I say this? Because this is the truth that we should not turn away from. Be very careful to heed this truth and do not turn away from it. I say all this to say that Jesus is the truth. And he says himself, I am the truth, and I am the way, and I am the life. Jesus is the truth. We live in a world where ideas and knowledge and information can be shared and disseminated easier than ever before. Because all you have to do to share a piece of knowledge or a piece of information to a vast audience is click a mouse button. And your piece of knowledge and information is out there for everyone to see. So knowledge and information has become really easy to come by because there's just tons of it out there. And that's good in the sense that now we can share knowledge easier than ever before. But what makes it bad is I think that it's easier than ever before to obscure truth because truth can get lost so easily in this sea of knowledge that's out there. So easy to obscure truth. And so we have to constantly pay attention to the capital T truth of Jesus or we may turn away from it. 
Truth is a person. Truth is Jesus. And I go back to the, the whole obscuring of truth in the web of knowledge that's out there because I, I think about you, you high schoolers or high schoolers that are about to be in college or college freshmen because you're going to, you're going to go into a setting when you get into college that is meant to challenge your assumptions and meant to kind of pry open your mind and get you to think about things a different way. And in many ways, that's really good. We should be challenging ourselves and saying, okay, do I align with truth? But the whole point is, do I align with Christ? We challenge ourselves and we open our minds and we pry it open to ask ourselves, am I aligning myself with Jesus? Because he is the truth. And so college students and high school students, as you go into those classrooms and as you listen to those professors and those teachers, ask yourself, is what I'm hearing right now, does what I'm hearing right now align with the capital T truth of Jesus? And those of you that are going to a Christian school or already attending a Christian school with a label, you still need to do this. You're not off the hook. Because I went to a Christian seminary, and it was Christian for the most part, but I had one professor who had an idea that he would disseminate every other week as we were coming back to this book that we were reading. And I said, this is not truth at a seminary. This is not truth. Or I had another professor who would one moment say something incredibly full and profound of truth of Jesus, and then the next moment talk about how we apply that. And I'd say, that is not the, you went wrong there. Because that is not the truth of Jesus in how you're applying that right now. We need to come back constantly to capital T truth. The author of Hebrews says this, For the message God delivered through angels has always stood firm and every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. Here's what he's doing. He's making a how much more argument. Okay? And so what he's doing is he's saying, if the Israelites back then were punished for disobedience when they had the old law or the old partnership, then how much more will we be punished now when we have Jesus with us? So he says, the Israelites were punished for their disobedience to the old partnership. And then he goes on, he says, so what makes us think that we can escape if we ignore the salvation that was introduced by Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? So he's saying, hey, if those Israelites were punished and exiled to Babylon for ignoring the way of godly living back then, then how much more will we be punished for ignoring the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ, the capital T, truth? He's who it's all about, folks. We live in a world where you can get caught up in so many things and where there's ideas and podcasts. I'm listening to podcasts all the time, and sometimes I need to shut my podcasts off and say, okay, what's the real truth again? Because I just got lost in a sea of ideas. Who's the real truth? The real truth is Jesus, because he is the one, through his death and resurrection, who will accomplish God's goal of renewing his broken and fallen creation. He is the one who renews this broken, sinful, and fallen world and who changes our hearts. It's all about him. That's what the author of Hebrews is telling us. It's all about Jesus. One last story. Uh, Hebrews 2.1 says, So we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard or we may drift away from it. I was talking to somebody recently from our congregation. I can't remember who, but I was saying, we were talking and I just said, Yeah, our, our default setting as humanity is not godliness. Our default setting is sinfulness, rebellion, waywardness, and hatred of God. And this is why we need to continue to come back to the capital T truth. Because our default setting is rebellion. And we renew our minds by coming back to his word every single day and all the time. And comparing what are we hearing and what are we experiencing with, does this line up with the capital T truth of Jesus? That's what we ought to do. He's who it's all about. He's why we're here. He's why I'm here, folks. He's why I'm here. All right, let's pray. Let's pray.